Theology. Theology Unplugged. Welcome to Theology Unplugged. I am Michael Patton. I'm sitting here with Clint and Carrie, and we are continuing a conversation that we started a couple of weeks ago, and um, we kind of left uh, people hanging because we have a lot more to say on it. And it is, uh, you know, we, we, last week we went through, or last time we went through uh, the history of kind of the movement we're dealing with and the history of understanding. I don't, I mean, last time you get, you gave maybe 20 different definitions for it. I mean, he listed all these things and it's so hard to say, this is what, I wonder in the future, when we look back upon this, what it will be labeled, the, what movement, the, cause there's just so many things with the, with the black lives matter intersectionality and just a, just a cultural, I mean, even going to the cultural relativism that plays a part in this a, and, and to look back and to try to figure out what, I mean, we had the enlightenment, but we're still developing whatever it is that's going on here. Yeah. And I remember 10 or 15 years ago, whenever we were just dealing with postmodernism and relativism, it felt kind of easy because it was more academic. But this is so deeply, this, this is the result of so many things that have been building for so long. And you just don't, I, 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 I keep on remaining surprised. I don't know about you guys, but I, I keep yeah. on getting surprised because while maybe we predicted this a long time ago in general, you know, things are going to go bad. We are always predicting things like this. What surprises me is that the predictions not only are coming true, but it's so much more colorful, if you want to put it that way, in a positive way, colorful than I thought it could be. I mean, just so much. So, Clint, you you were leading us last time, and you're probably going to be leading us again uh-huh. today about all of these issues because you're our resident philosopher and uh, going through the history of Marxism. But can you can you try to put a label on what it is we're going to be talking about today? Yeah, yeah. So I think if we uh, if we back the truck up a minute and review it, we started talking about Marx, which. The only reason we did is because that's where these, you know, if these ideas have a birthplace, he's their birthplace. Yeah. I think the core ideas of of what, you know, comes to be called critical theory, Mm -hmm. critical race theory, critical studies, critical, you know, whiteness and all that, you know, um, as you see it today. And it is hard to put words on it because we're not just going to we're not just going to say, "Hey, this is Marxism," because this really isn't Marxism in the classical sense. And when we were in school, we didn't learn Marxism. It didn't include all these yeah, all this stuff. Yeah. Now. It did include the core ideas, but it didn't include uh, all this terminology today. Uh, no, you know, no one, no one back in our school days would have talked about anybody being woke. Would have talked about, uh, you know, um, whiteness or. Um, you know, are you anti-racist? I mean, Marx didn't even concern himself with any of that stuff. Nor did the scholars later, though they started to. So what we did is we said, here's Marx, here's his big ideas, and, you know, a lot of them caught on, and a lot of people tried them out, and, you know, it didn't work out that well. <laughs> the people that did try his ideas out in real life. But then all these uh, highfalutin German and French guys in these academies started to take his ideas and uh, then apply them outside of just you know, class and uh, economics, and they started to apply them to art and sociology and psychology and, you know, everything else. So they, they just it became the cultural, soci- social version of Marxism applied here, 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 here. Everywhere you look, we're, we're doing the Marxist critique. We're deconstructing everything, showing how it's wrong, and um, someone's getting oppressed somewhere. 
And then those guys, those Frankfurt School type of guys, we said, they their legacy carried on. They, that got exported in here in, in, in the American Academy in Britain and across the West, all these people. And that's where we encountered it, I think, what you're saying, Michael. When we were in school, we encountered these scholars that were introduced to us, these postmodern thinkers. Um, and they wanted to deconstruct everything, and they would say that, you know, everything's a power play and nothing's objective. And, you know, like you said, I thought, hmm, that's fascinating. But I thought, this is only the kind of thing that eccentric, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. eccentric high academics would dabble in. Nobody I meet, no regular people are going to think this stuff. Yeah. Uh, which I think I was mostly right about that back then. Yeah. And the surprise that we're talking about is how we're waking up every day and all the regular people of the world are now taking this in. Yeah. In, in an, and so, so it's, I guess if we wanted to characterize it, we'd say it's, it's old Marxist ideas kind of passed down the line through, you know, Europeans, scholars, and postmodern types. And, and now it's kind of, it's, it's kind of given birth well, it seems like we needed, the, we needed this. Thing. We needed the postmodernism to deconstruct things, and the Marxism to reconstruct things. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of we we got to get rid of the old, and it's easy to get rid of the old whenever you've got deconstruction. Mm -hmm. And the whole idea of deconstruction without the idea of reconstruction seemed to be the goal. You know, even ten years ago, I mean, dealing with a lot of this stuff, especially with things like the emerging church, which kind of fits into this, mm -hmm. where. Let's rethink everything. Let's let's redo things, and and it was always let's redo, but let's never come to a new conclusion. It's it's kind of like let's we need to start you know getting a new perspective. We need to start flying our airplane around and and just looking at all the terrain. But there was never any place to land, you know. And finally, it became well, I guess they want us to fly around and never land. And now we've come into this, and it feels like. We're landing somewhere, or they're trying to land somewhere. But number one, there's no leadership. We're that, landing in a volcano. <laughs> yeah, landing in lots of different volcanoes. Uh, but we're landing. Uh, we're landing, and the the leadership is not there. There's nothing we can refer to. There's lots of different types of leaders, but they all share the same characteristic. And you've got you've got people that are on the other side that are trying to... I mean, I, I just read this quote uh, yesterday from Thomas Sowell, who says, uh, one of the most important reasons for studying history is that virtually every stupid idea that is in vogue today has been tried before and proven disastrous before time and again. And, you know, I look at that, and I'm like, this is, this is it right here. I mean, how it's all these people landing on volcanoes, and we've already done that. Aren't we smarter than we used to be? Didn't we go through something to to enlighten us? But it seems that this this mandate, this cultural mandate, this social mandate, has just kind of overtaken any other ideas whatsoever. And so the first thing you kind of got this this pragmatic goal that you set out. I'm not even sure what the pragmatic goal is. Is it equal? You know, everybody being equal? Is it, you know, um, uh, you know, the the economy uh, being equal? Some type of socialism? with the economy and society. I'm not sure exactly what it is, but it seems like everybody's got these different endpoints. And all these people that are on this side have multiple different agendas, but they all support each other because the main agenda is to get rid of what was here before. Whatever it was. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's it has to do with, gosh, such a, such a deep hatred it, it, for the... 
the, well, for, to, for the right. It's a deep hatred, ultimately. Well, I don't want to get off on no, the and tangent, so No, I think know, it's but, a good point. But yeah. Because people are like, we listen to this, think, thinking what you're saying. Because I think it, too. I think, like, to use your analogy, um, yeah, we, we're in the air, uh, and we can't land because we blew up all the landing strips. There's nowhere to land. There's, you know, you, you're, the firm foundation you need to land your plane on, you, got, you don't have one. Yeah. And you don't have the basis for even building one. So that... Um, you know, it's like every const- every contractor knows that demo is the easiest part of any job. Mm. D- d- demolition's easy. Yeah. I just b- tear everything up. It's much harder to construct. Mm-hmm. And these people today, I mean, at least on the popular level, they're, they, that's why they seem to me like such fools. Like, they just didn't even think ahead. Mm-hmm. And like you said, um, Marxism and all of its iterations and versions and stepchildren, you know, uh, seems nice, I guess, in theory for a lot of people. It, that's why it's mostly remained in theory. Most ardent, uh, you know, Marxists are so theoretical. But if you ask them, I mean, take—I don't know—if we, if we were to take the ten, I don't know who that'd be, by the way. But let's say, let's say, let's say somebody could give us the ten leading Marxist scholars, people who buy into it thoroughly mm. and write about it, and are really super duper smarties. And we said. Let's put them in a room and give them, you know, a week. And when they walk out, we want to see their action plan, yeah. legislation, yeah. what yeah. it looks like. I'm not sure they'll ever come out of that room. Mm-mm. And like we said, the people who did go ahead and give it the old college try yeah. built real hellscapes every time, <laughs> didn't they? So we've yet to see anybody take it and construct something on it that anybody once, yeah. Unless you want to take a couple of Scandinavian examples, which, as I think we said before, I'm not sure they even count. They don't. They don't because there's still free market principles at play. It's well, see, is, capitalistic. Isn't it though? For, as long as you hate the right, you're good. I I think it goes beyond that, and I think it goes to you know this is the I think the fundamental component of Marxist ideology anyway that that goes across, or that all these, whatever manifestations of it, they all share this hostility towards transcendence. So it's not just the right. It is the right insofar as the right politically, in American terms, conservative, you know, Republican values, insofar as they, they reflect transcendent principles. Mm. Um, and that's the argument for my being a conservative, is because at the end of the day, the Constitution itself is ultimately reflecting transcendent principles as yeah. revealed in nature yeah. and even in scripture, right? So, um, but I think that's what we're seeing ultimately is there's this hostility towards <laughs> transcendence. And as I was, uh, you know, listening to Veith on uh, this was, it just clicked. You're referring to Gene Edward Veith. Gene Edward Veith, right. Um, and he's talking about fascism. So there's a lot of overlap, incidentally, between Marxism and fascism. And I'm still trying to, you talk about a nebulous um, term, like how do we define what's going on now? We can't even still, we're still grappling with what fascism actually was and is. <clears throat> but an undergirding fundamental component of that, really, not even undergirding, a fundamental component is a hostility towards transcendence, which is why you have, with Nazi Germany, um, it wasn't just a hatred, an ethnic hatred of Jews. It was what they represented, mm. the monotheistic <clears throat> system Now, when you say Judaism, that, uh, hostility towards transcendence, towards are you God. talking about 
as Ultimate. well. I mean, would this include because I because I, I look at the whole idea behind postmodernism and uh, objective truth, hostility hostility towards any type of objectivity Absolutely. or assurance. Because all of those things, all of those things are rooted when you talk about objective truth, yeah. truth, goodness, and beauty, the transcendent principles. All of those things are rooted in God. Mm. They're a reflection of His character. They're within His mind. And they're communicated mm -hmm. to us through through creation and through you know scripture. But anyway, there's a hostility towards that, and that's that that fundamental component mm -hmm. of Marxism, as he discussed mm -hmm. a couple of episodes ago. That that he got rid of the spiritual. Right. You know, he he kicked that out of the dialectic. Right. Essentially, right. He yeah. got rid of that. Yeah. So. Well, right now we don't really have any leadership in the country, at least here in America. We don't have the leadership of the country where we look to this and you say, okay, well, here's who, because we've got election coming up, and here's who's running for the president on the right, and here's what he is saying he wants to do. I feel like everybody's just kind of waiting around for whatever, whichever wind takes the culture, they're going to have to jump on board with that at the right moment in order to, you know... Uh, secure their place and whatever they're doing. I mean, you do you do have the other side, which is Trump, who is, he does have at least agenda, and people hate it. Here's the objectivity over here, and yeah, then here's the subjectivity over here. There's conservatism in Trump. Yeah. Uh, ultimately, there is vestiges of transcendent principles yeah. in play in Trump. Well, at least the very, le oh, yeah. uh, the very least, he's got an agenda that you can say here's what it is you know and and he's got to clearly define i mean he clearly he tries to clearly define it all the time i'm not saying it's right or anything i'm just saying i can i can figure some of this stuff out i just can't figure out the other side because i don't know what their end goal is exactly or if there is even an end goal or if it's just you know the the wind blowing where it will well as we're going to see i mean uh, one of the biggest well, we're already highlighting some of the biggest concerns with this. I mean, right. One of them, uh, you've mentioned uh, no history. Don't you know? You cut yourself off from history. So not only do you not have the landing strip for the plane, you don't have a compass. You don't even know which way you're going. You're, you don't even have a plane. You, <laughs> you just yeah. jump it off a building. Try Someone to else built it and put the fuel in it, <laughs> right. and you and you've already repudiated them as as uh, as filled with whiteness and yeah. and oppressors. And but but. You know, and the people in the tower might be trying to give you instructions, but they're just a bunch of old white guys. You're not going to listen to them either. Uh, you're going to just fly by your, the seat of your feelings, wherever you know, into the utopian future. But it's just not there. Yeah. So it's like you know, with, without that knowledge of the past, without this perspective. I mean, like Michael's saying, don't haven't don't we learn from mistakes? Not if you don't even know about them. You don't because mm -hmm. it's like the way any progress happens is collective wisdom. It's like. Uh, you don't want to. You'd be like a chronological snob to use the Lewis word. You think you yeah. will. You you were born and the world started, and you don't need to know all that stuff from the past. They were all just a bunch of terrible warmongering colonialists yeah, anyway. Yeah. So so then all their wisdom you don't get. And and by the way, science would have gotten nowhere, because uh you know if you let Newton be born into a world, right the day after all the scientific libraries all in the world burned, what would he have done? He wouldn't have had all that stuff to learn before. He wouldn't have been able to stand on the shoulders, the shoulders of giants, of giants yeah. as he said. Yeah. So we don't. So we we don't have that. Also, we you know we're trying to say uh, now this movement that they don't believe truth. That that right there is a game ender. I mean, but yet let me read you a quote from one of their <clears throat> from one of their sort of textbooks. Okay. This is a this is from D'Angelo, the lady, and then another lady, and uh -huh. a couple of, a couple of education type people, and they wrote this book, um, and they say 
one of the, this is a quote, one of the key contributions of critical theorists concerns the production of knowledge. An approach based on critical theory calls into question the idea that objectivity is desirable or even possible. The term used to describe this way of thinking about knowledge is that knowledge is socially constructed. When we refer to knowledge as socially constructed, we mean that knowledge is reflective of the values and interests of those who produce it. This view challenges the belief that knowledge is simply the result of rational, objective, and value-neutral process, one that is removed from political agenda. The notion of value-free or objective knowledge was central to rationalizing the colonization of other lands and peoples that began in the 15th century. Language itself is not a neutral transmitter of universal, objective, or fixed reality. Language is the way we construct reality. Hmm. This is part of the textbook being used to teach people this way of thinking, and right out of the gate, bye-bye truth. Now, what are we supposed to do from there yeah. once there's no ground under We call un Uncle Socrates, because she's not saying anything different than the sophists than the, were saying. Than the, the sophists it, yeah, said it, back it, in ancient Greece. Exactly, but I mean, that's all that is. Yeah, it's like it's she skipped a logic empty, class, I it's guess. It's empty rhetoric, and then all I would do is just get Socratic and say, well... Do you know this to yeah. be true? Well, I know. I know that it's, we. Here, here, here's the way we all it's feel. Self-referential problem, right? Absolutely. Now. We feel like we we've woken into a nightmare in some sense because woken. Yeah. I <laughs> I used to I used to have these uh, these uh, uh, night terrors whenever I was a kid. Yeah. And I, I never could explain them because I just jump up and I'd run around screaming and something was the matter. All I remember was the, there was this utter feeling of dread and hopelessness. I don't know where it came from. It was. It was very difficult for me actually growing up because I was always scared to go to sleep for like from whenever I was eight years old to whenever I was 12 years old. I had them all the time. And Freddy Krueger was waiting for yeah, you. Yeah, my dad was the only one he could get up and he could walk me around and uh, uh, get me out of these nightmares. And then afterwards, I'd reflect a little bit and they'd say, What it's about? I say, I have no clue. I don't know. And it's not until recently, whenever I started thinking about some of these ideas that are going on. Um, if it's true, you know, if we if we're looking at a world to where objectivity has to be done away with, and anytime you try to push an agenda, you are being um, you're being uh, controlling and uh, dominant over somebody, and we need to let all this stuff go, all these ideas, because ideas have power, and the power you know is bad. It's basically what it all comes down to. And then I start to say, okay, what does the world look like at that? And I immediately, for the first time in my life. I enter into my 12-year-old dreams because it's like that's a feeling that I have. I have a yeah. feeling of hopelessness, helplessness, just dark, a dark void. That's it's a night terror of what do we do? And I think this has been always been the problem ever since the 1990s whenever I was first introduced to both socially and academically postmodernism where I began to look at it and I was like, well – this can't work out, number one. So we're, we don't need to worry and about surely, it. Surely, yeah. But surely it, people are more sensitive. And, and as Christians, yeah. as uh, us as believers, whenever we're approaching <laughs> things, we look at things from a very objective standpoint, at least from, you know, whenever we're talking about the Bible, the Bible has truth. Jesus revealed truth. He was the truth. And so we believe in truth. And so whenever we're dealing with things, that we're much more comfortable 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, dealing with the culture, 
right now we look like we feel like we've entered into something right. and and everybody's everybody's saying what do we do do we default back into you know our way of thinking do we try to understand where they're coming from how do we get a hold of these people because we want these people to change not just because we want society to change but because we want to let them well, know about we Christ have their, both their temporal and eternal well-being in mind yeah mm -hmm. at the end of the day this stuff they are these are literally the vain philosophies of men that Paul warned about yeah and that's something that and again to uh, to you know appeal but you're to not the, only the finding the these on prison. Mars Hill you're finding them everywhere well, it's doctrines every, of demons well, yeah yeah I mean the the entire Western Western civilization is Mars Hill at yeah, this point yeah and Mars Hill has been dominated by the sophist, you know, to right. be anachronistic there. But still, I mean, it, you know, and that's what we're having to contend with. And I mean, how do you debate like something Paul, like this? Let's set like up a debate. Paul, what do you debate? My time. Reclaiming my time. Well, 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 no, like, like you <laughs> but, said, yeah. But we're vexed. Right. Paul, like like so Carrie know? was just saying, you know, imagine, imagine, uh, <laughs> nice, nice job, Senator, Senator Hunter, Senator Hunter the, the distinguished, the distinguished um, representative rep Hunter. From yeah, district, I was going to say gentleman, but I, of, I don't want to assume how you identify. Right. But, <laughs> um, you know, you. So, so let's imagine. So imagine uh, one of these authors. The book I quoted was was the two authors, and uh, just so people know what that was, it's called "Is Everybody Equal." Uh, an introduction to key concepts in critical social justice education. Okay, and one of these writers is D'Angelo, who wrote White Fragility, mm -hmm. and the other one's a gender, sexuality, women's studies professor of some kind, and, and and educator and so on. Let's say she walks in in her toga up into the Areopagus. Well, and she starts laying this stuff on them. Well, my guess is, if like you said, if Socrates is anywhere around. This is this is going to be easy. I mean, this 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 conversation won't last long, because for example, let's just imagine it like this. So from that book, she bullet points a few things. These authors they say, okay, critical social justice perspectives colon, and they bullet point three things. And this is in the book, three bullet points. One have bullet points. They're already yeah, yeah, yeah. modernist. That's right. <laughs> That's points. right. The, the bullet. It should just be bullet points with nothing. Right. Yeah. 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 Just, if, if just empty. Consistent. Right. Um, or or just blanks. Yeah. Fill in your truth. Yeah. Because that's the, the point of this book is whatever you, whatever yeah. three bullet points yeah. you decide. Perspectival bullet So points. here are their three bullet points. So critical social justice perspectives, colon, here it is. One, there is no neutral text. All texts represent a particular perspective. Socrates might say, I'm sorry, stop right there. So your text that I'm reading this in is not neutral. It represents a particular perspective. Okay, mm. just, okay, go on. Bullet point two. All texts are embedded with ideology. The ideology embedded in most mainstream texts functions to reproduce historical relations of an equal power. Well, I think we know what he'll say to that, right? Yeah. Oh, I guess your text is embedded with ideology. Mm -hmm. huh? mm -hmm. Number three, texts that appeal to a wide audience usually do so because they reinforce dominant narratives. Sorry, how many books have you sold, D'Angelo? Sounds like you appeal to a wide audience. That's likely because you reinforce dominant narratives by your own statement. Mm -hmm. You see, this is, this is, this is, I mean, it sounds bad to say it, but this is child's play. You know what I mean? It's Protagoras. It's shooting fish in a barrel. It's, it's, it's easy. It's easy. I mean, it no, is, it's not it, easy it to be address easy. it in the but culture. It, but it's so frustrating it's, because... Because the moment is, you start questioning D'Angelo... 
Protagoras, Beverly, what's her first name? Not no, Beverly. Beverly's the actress the from actress, uh, back right. in the day. Yeah. Her name's uh, Robin. Robin. Robin Protagoras D'Angelo would say, well, that's just your white fragility talking. Right. When you bump, when you buck up right. against her right. assertions. But here's, here's the whole thing this time. Self, is, that's sophistry. It, they've got the crowd behind sophistry. them somehow. <laughs> and and it's kind of you know you, you look back and you say what's the difference because you've you've had these people all the time but they've got so much more confidence now yeah. and it's as if you come back and maybe you come back with the right answer like Socrates or like anybody that is smart I mean yeah. a, a two year old who understands that this is self defeating mm. but you come back with that and then once somebody comes and accuses you of any of these things that you're talking about you know white supremacy yeah, uh, male dominance yeah. uh, power play uh, truth power you're play I mean you're whatever, done whatever and, it, and it almost feels like you are as yeah. well it's not just that you're sitting there and you're like wow that was a good one you know it was a bad one but you know that everybody <laughs> agrees because yeah, we've right. done this, we've done this um, this manipulative technique that I don't think anybody necessarily planned on. There wasn't somebody saying one of these days we'll have this manipulation in play. But now it's in play. Once you get accused of this, you're done, and it doesn't matter your arguments anymore because you've got to now get on the other side and at least admit to whatever it is that they accused you of before you can start mm-hmm. regaining a neutral voice. Yeah. Not regaining a voice. You'll yeah. never have a voice, but, you know, uh, a neutral voice. And the crowds are behind it, and that's the power. Right. Yeah. The, cr- the people are behind it, the mass culture. Not not necessarily the academics, not the people who are debating, not the people who are, you know, out there that are the really f- the philosophers. It's a, it's a mob deal, and whenever it's a, the mob a, a gets co- behind you... Mob. It shows you how powerful it is. I mean, the right. mobs good. Good. can be so incredibly powerful. And that's why I say the leadership's up there, and all they're doing is watching which way is the mob going. Yeah, because they're afraid. They, they're cowards. Yeah. They're cowards, so they're, they, they, they're just... It's like it's like all the it's like somebody armed all the children, mm. and all the brats started saying, it, "Hey, we have guns now. Give us cookies." Yeah, <laughs> and uh, it is and the adults are going, "Here, here, here's it, some cookies. Please is, don't get me fired." Yeah. It is evergreen, spilling into the streets. I mean, it really is. Um, and how long ago did evergreen happen? Was I can't it like remember. 2017, and then I, maybe I only, even before. I can't before, remember. Maybe now. 2015, <clears> but. And it's funny because what Evergreen did is it it made people that are that were like uh, really well people that I don't know, fifteen years ago we would have said, what a flaming liberal who's dead wrong about things because like like Weinstein the main guy yeah, that yeah. we see that through, well he doesn't agree with us on anything, but now because this postmodernism has run so wild, it's caused it's caused a bunch of old school modernists. Atheists, who were even atheists, yeah, yeah. to come running to running behind our shelter, uh-huh. seeking some kind of shelter. It's like we're the ones we're the ones who built this tornado we're, we're, shelter we're, years ago. We're yeah. the ones who have said all along that you, sir, hold to objective truth, but right. can't account for it. Right, and that's why, yeah. So and, anyway, and you're partly responsible where, because where do, yeah. Where do we go? I mean, well, look, so, from so, here at least. I mean, here, here's what I see as the audience. I'm sitting here thinking. Man, if they feel like me, it's just frustration. You know, I don't know that we have anything to offer. Or do we? Do we have a next step where we say, "Here's what we got"? Well, do. I don't know yet because so all the way through this, I think we have to keep reminding people that what we're mainly doing here is we're trying to help you. Ex- we're we're helping to explain, and we hope you people to listen to understand yeah. what this is yeah. to think through it. Now, how you interact with people—that's a little bit different. You have to be. You have to sort of. Thoughtfully, prayerfully, 
um, and, 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 and with, with gentleness, and with, win, with winsome. Yeah. to be winsome. Exactly. You, and each of us, each of us, when we interact with people out there, we may not talk exactly like we're talking here because this is, no. we're yeah. in the friendly confines. We're just being very straightforward and blunt. Now, we're not trying to be mean, yeah. but we're just being very straightforward. Yeah. And in today's climate, you can't even always be that direct because, as you said, you just down. trigger people and you lose them yeah. immediately be, just, be, just by saying something true. Mm-hmm. So you have to sort of carefully navigate the waters just to get the good opportunity to land something meaningful into their mind to plant a seed so they might see that this is foolish. But I do think there's something else we need to make sure people understand because we're saying, well, they don't believe in truth, they don't believe in truth. Someone might hear that and say, okay, you're saying that, and yet the people I talk to make lots of truth claims. So how does that work? Well, Well, they sure do. A, they do so because they're wildly inconsistent. As most postmodernists have on the street level anyway, historically have not lived up, have not held consistently to their own views. So Mm. they say there's no truth, then they proceed to make several truth statements. The other thing you have to understand is they do think that there is something, a substitute for truth, truth, a a truth with a small t. And this is what we might call, okay, I'll give you the big philosophical term first, standpoint epistemology. You might have heard it before. Yep. You know something's true by your position. So in the textbook, the D'Angelo textbook here, they call it positionality. So they don't think that you can't know anything. It's just you don't know it objectively, but you can know it in a way that you can tell everybody about it. But, but it's based on your identity. And this is where the intersectional component comes in. So they write the following, quote, Positionality asserts that knowledge is dependent upon a complex web of cultural values, beliefs, experiences, and social positions. Who we are as knowers is intimately connected to our group socialization, including gender, race, class, and sexuality. What you know, in quotes, is connected to, quote, who you are and where you stand. It is difficult for dominant group members to see oppression or to believe accounts of it happening to others. In addition to the structural barriers, there are psychological and social investments in not seeing oppression. These investments cause us to resist pressures to acknowledge oppression. Where we are dominant, we generally don't like to have our, our privilege pointed out. Our inability then to think with complexity about racism, as well as our investment in it, makes whites the least qualified to assess its manifestations. Very few whites believe that structural racism is real, or have the humility to engage with peoples of color about it. Of course, these writers have the humility of because course. they're so, yeah. So, um, so now you see the epistemology they're recommending now. It's so all truth is out, but, it's, but, but if, and this is where you have the, a touch of what I think is the mystical and the Gnostic, where in a weird religious way, I see things you don't see. Mm-hmm. Because the, the God of this world, i.e. whiteness, has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Mm. So they don't see the spiritual warfare, in their, which in their world means the oppression in the systems. Yeah. I see it because I'm a, a, I am gay, person of color, woman, yeah. whatever. Yeah. I'm, whatever I, anything I can, any identify, identity markers that put me in the they victim group. They have a group, special hidden knowledge. Gives me the ability to yeah. see what you can't see. And as you mentioned earlier, Carrie, uh, uh, when you try to say, if you try to say, Wait a minute, but you, I need some evidence. I mean, like, where is it? 
you end up in in what you refer to as a Kafka trap. A Kafka mob. Have you ever heard of the of the idea of a Kafka trap? Yeah. It's like an old thing where, mm. and I guess it comes from an old Kafka story the that trial. he. Yeah. Franz Kafka told cool stories like he did the one about the metamorphosis where the guy wakes up and he's, you know, he's a cocker, they're yeah. kind of like real trippy stories. But in this one um, that's so timely for all this, he tells the story of a guy who suddenly wakes up and he's just being accused of something terrible. It's called the trial. It's called the trial. Yeah. He's innocent. But in this situation, there's no due process. Of, and, and the trick, what makes it a trap is everything he would say to defend himself is taken as the evidence of his guilt. Hmm. Yeah. And so that so that the claim is non-falsifiable mm. just by definition. Mm. He can't defend himself. Yeah. And what a lot of um, critics have astutely noted in the, in these kind of tricky little game like D'Angelo, like white fragility itself is the entire thing is Kafka trap. Because when you anything you say now here she is as white as a sheet herself, yeah. right? And but she's she has claimed authority. Where she got it, don't ask me. I don't know. <laughs> she just claimed it and wrote a book, so we're supposed to believe her. But she whatever you say, you being you because you're white, whatever you say to to critique anything she's saying in Kafka esque fashion, she just says, Ah, oh, you see, that's what you would say being blinded as you are. Mm-hmm. You're showing your fragility yeah. right now. Right. By not believing yeah. me. Now, if you're black and you say that, she says she's got a she's got a way out of that. Ah, oh, you've internalized yeah. racism. You've internalized yeah. whiteness. Or if, if Marx you, would have said you've been co-opted you, by the system. If you drown, you're not a witch. If you float, you are. So Bingo. let's kill you. So um, there we go. We'll pick this up in the next episode. Da 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 da. Theology. Unbelievable.